What's up, EBINC? Y'all awake? Hey, it is 7.39. It is getting late, okay? I'm now, I'm now uh, I believe I'm 37. Jody's not here, so I don't know how old I am. But I believe I'm 37. And I'm telling you, once you get to like 35 plus, around 8 p.m., you start yawning a lot. You start looking at your bed a little bit, the pillows. You're like, well, I could just lie down. And then by 8.30, you're gone, man. And so if I do an altar call and I start snoring up here, just let me be, okay? Just leave me sit. And I'm preaching in the morning, so let me go all night. I'm fine. I'll just wake up and preach. But, uh, hey, I'm here to tell you something tonight. And how, how many of you have been uh, up to date with that Damar Hamlin story? How crazy is that? Isn't that awesome? Like, atheists are praying right now. Like... God is holding the world hostage for one amazing young man, and the world is praying. And I, I, I love that people that don't even understand what prayer is are still like, God, would you intervene in his life? Would you heal? Like, they're not even sure. They're, a lot of my friends are posting prayers on Instagram for you to pray, and they're just praying those prayers. Like, I don't know how amazing it is that here we are at the week of prayer, coming off an insane week where literally a man died on a football field last week. Like, T. Higgins killed a man. And then he was raised up, and then miraculously today, he flew from Cincinnati to back to Buffalo. Now listen, yeah, I don't, I don't celebrate, usually I don't celebrate anyone flying back to Buffalo, but that one I celebrated. I said, thank you, Lord. But what is, what is God doing? What can he do in this moment? Here, here's what I want to tell you, is that God is not looking for people simply to pray, but he's looking for a people of prayer. That's my message tonight. Listen, God loved, and I loved, and leaders loved when millions of people all around the world were praying for this young man. It's an absolute miracle. I believe that people are getting saved. People are actually getting delivered themselves. People are being peaked through, through spiritual times. Listen, we thought the next revival was going to be through some sort of stadium with Benny Hinn. No, it was a stadium with football. Like, this is awkward. This is not how it's supposed to go. God, so... Listen, I'm not a skeptic. What I do is I, I put my finger in the air. I say, God, what are you doing in this moment? And I fully believe what I just said. God is not looking for people. Corey Ten Boom said it this way. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? That's what God's doing. Corey Ten Boom and her family helped Jews escape the Nazis back in the day. And amazing, they saw miracle after miracle after miracle right in front of them. And what she did in her life is she then went around and preached and talked to Christians and talked to non-Christians and people all around the world and asked them that very question. Is prayer something you do when you need something or is prayer your everyday directional lifestyle? And good friends at EBINC, I, I believe in this hour, we're here in 2023, there's been some supernatural things happening already through the NFL, through the world right now. I'm believing that God is trying to sound the alarm to the believers here in the world. And I'm here to sound the alarm tonight and ask you, will you become a people of prayer? Not just a person who enjoys prayer. Not just a person who likes to pray. Not that we, our little guy, Elliot, uh, Dr. Fred, talked about him. We've got him trained now. He reminds us to pray for dinner. He'll look at me and go, Daddy, pray. Go, okay. And I just, I just, we pray for dinner. It's like, he's not looking for the ritual of prayer. Even though I love that. As a father, I enjoy that moment. He's not looking for the ritual of prayer. He's asking for your heart. Because I tell you what waits you on the other side of prayer. It's a person. 
on the other side of a, becoming a people of prayer, it's not just like, oh, wow, God, you did all these cool things through me. God, I prayed and all these supernatural moments and all these miracles happened and all this money came my way and all everything I ever asked or dreamed of. That's not, the, that's not the end goal of prayer. The end goal of prayer is you're looking right into Jesus' eyes. The end goal of prayer is a person and it's Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus, as, as we, we're going to look at his story, I, I've been preaching on Luke 10 too for probably six years now. I cannot get past this one single verse in Luke 10 too. I just preach about it most everywhere I go, and I just preach about it in a thousand different ways. Bill Johnson said, I have five sermons that are 10,000 long, 10,000 hours long each. And I feel like this is one of my 10,000 hours long sermons. I just keep on getting revelation about Jesus with his disciples training them in prayer. Jesus said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of man. The disciples are a little confused by that, but they're probably homeless, and they need money, and they're like, this dude looks cool. Let's follow after him. He's going to train us to become fishers, whatever that. They're following Jesus, and then Jesus for three years is not just like getting them in a classroom. He's living every single day of his life to demonstrate to them what it means to be a person of prayer, a people of prayer. And friends, if you're a part of Elam, which you are, if you're in this room, you're a part of Elam, our history over the past 99 years, is it? Next year's 100. Happy birthday, everyone. 99. (laughs) I'm not going to share that. Um, I was going to say a Jay-Z quote about 99, but I'm not going to do that. Um, I was going to make it funny, but I'm not, don't Google it either, okay? I'm going to get in trouble. But like for the past 99 years, this house, this tribe, this movement has been pumping out people that are people of prayer. This place, you might be here and be like, man, this, I need, where are my uh, midtermers? Who's like, this is your first week or something? I love you guys. Come on, let's give it up for our midtermers here. You're like, man, you're like, I got a discount. I got a scholarship. I don't care why you're here. If you're in this house, if you're in this tab, if you're a part of this movement, you're a part of something that launches people that have a growing dependency and a heart for God himself. Not just for to do great things for God, not just to see cool things happen, not just to find where the best jobs are in ministry, a people that purely desire to see God change them and change their world. In 1954, in Kenya, I know some Kenyans here, where are my Kenyans at? Pastor Daniel Jambo, I got some Kenyans here. Hola, that's not. That's, never mind. I think they speak Spanish in Kenya, though. I think they do. Some areas. In 1954, there was an Elam missionary named Bud Sickler. Does anyone know the name Bud Sickler? Listen, man, I'm the missions director. I say that name to missionaries. They start to like twinge a little bit. Bud was hardcore. That's what that means. Bud did not play games. Bud got things done. In 1954, Bud Sickler is in a dead sleep. He's been in, he's been in, uh, uh, outside of Mombasa, Kenya for years, serving and serving and serving and seeing no fruit. And then in 1954, he has an open vision in the middle of the night, and it's a massive church building full of 5,000 people and revivalists swept across Kenya. And Bud wakes up out of the sleep and he goes, not again. He's like, God, I can't, I can't do this again. I can't have another exciting vision that I get excited for, get all my people excited for, and then it doesn't happen. I'm on my last string. I can't, I'm emotionally, I can't do it. 
So he goes, he, try, he, he tries to trick God. He says, okay, God, if this is really you, I'm going to pray. And I ask that funds are low right now. I'm going to pray that I, that I receive some funds from someone I have no idea who they are. That was his fleece that he had up before the Lord. He's before the Lord saying, God, if this is truly you, send funds in some, from some area. In the next week, send funds from someone I don't know. And remember this back in the day, 1954, there's no Venmo, there's no PayPal, there's no, you know, if you're sending out newsletters, you're like chipping them into a rock and like sending, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there is nothing, there is no tablets, only like, like stone tablets. Like that's all, there, no, you're not communicating with anybody in a week's time to get funds. And it's day six, nothing's there. The seventh day, still nothing. He closes his office that day, he walks down to his mailbox one last time. You have to say, this, is, this is dead true. Sister Sylvia told this to me, okay? This is going to be in heaven, all right? Jesus doesn't lie, and Sister Sylvia doesn't lie, okay? This is all true. These two things I know. He goes to his mailbox, closing up his office one last time. He opens it up, and there's a crinkled old letter inside of his mailbox. And he goes, what is, like someone just threw their trash in there. He takes it out. He looks at it. And on the front, all it says is missionary Mombasa. In this old little frail, crinkly writing on this crinkly little paper. He opens up the envelope. He takes out a letter. And she says, sir, I don't know who you are. But I was praying and God told me to send you money. I saw your face. I don't know your name. I don't know where you live. All I did is write missionary Mombasa. And I asked the people to get it to a missionary there. He takes out, not a lot of cash, three $1 bills. And she says, this is all I have, and I'm sending it to you. And Bud right then and there dropped to his knees, weeping, thanking the Lord. And friends, you can go to that church these days, I was actually about to go over the summer, but I had to cut my trip short. You can go to that church right now in Mombasa. Pastor Daniel, stop me if I'm lying. You can go to the church in Mombasa. 5,000 plus people fit in this church. It's jam-packed every day. A mighty revival swept through Kenya and beyond because a man who was caught up after God, part of this Elam tribe, had a global heart, had a heart to serve Jesus. He came before the Lord and said, I'm not just going to ask you to do something. I'm going to come before you as a man of prayer, as a person of prayer. And here's the thing. On the other side of prayer is what? A person. But I got to tell you, that person of Jesus always uses prayer in your life to bring you more dependent on him. Time after time again in my life, I've experienced this. My back's against the wall. I need God to come through. I get desperate. God answers. I move in a little bit closer to him. My back's against the wall. I got nothing else going on. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm lonely. I'm disappointed. My back's against the wall. I cry out to God. He moves in my life. And I draw a little bit closer. Time after time again. The late Dick Dreyer and his wife, 
Shan, Pastor Dick passed away last year. Amazing father in missions, father of prayer, a pastor at Elam Life Church for longer than a lot of us have been alive. An absolute man of prayer. Do you know that Iran right now where he served? But right now, Iran is the fastest growing church in the world right now. The total number of churches planted, converts, disciples everywhere, Iran is it. The reason that happened is because 40 plus years ago, Dick and Shandreyer and four other missionary couples were in Iran praying and asking God to move. And they weren't seeing it happen. They weren't seeing the results they wanted. They were ready to tap out. And God said, no, 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 press a little bit deeper. Go a little bit further. I want you to pray like you've never prayed before. So they all looked at each other and they said, okay, we feel God calling us to deeper prayer. Hey, why don't we do like, you know, an hour a day? We'll fast lunch. They prayed about that, and God said, no, 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 I want you to pray like you've never prayed before. They're like, okay, um, let's see here. Let's fast breakfast and lunch. You know, they're trying to out-spiritualize God. They're like, okay, what's going really, to really make it hurt? And God says to them, the whole group, no, 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 you're not, you're not getting it. I want you to pray like you've never prayed before. I want you to pray like it's your job. And they were before the Lord, and they go, you want us to pray all day? God says, yeah, 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 I want you to pray all day. For six months, those couples prayed together for eight hours a day. They'd wake up, they'd eat breakfast, they'd slant some probably killer espresso, and they'd go to war. They'd pray, and they'd worship, and they'd pray. After one month, no converts. After two months, no converts. After three months, no converts. Four months in, they're going, is this what you want us to do, God? God says, keep on going. Go deeper, get to it. Four months goes by, five months goes by, six months goes by, Exactly after six months, eight hours a day of prayer, crying out to God to move, crying out for God to move in this place, they see their first ever convert. And that guy became the pastor and the leader that budded this entire movement that we see right now in Iran. Thousands upon thousands getting saved every single month in Iran now. Why? Because... Not mighty powerhouse ministers came into town to shut down the devil and to do these big meetings and to have the perfect campaign of recruiting to get people to come to their meetings and, you know, to rent out the biggest stadium and have the sweetest website. No, it was a people of prayer. And that movement in Iran is now sending missionaries. That movement in Iran, which you would think like, okay, well, the fastest growing, yeah, now they're sending missionaries to other nations. And it's not because the strongest, the flashiest, the most effective ministers of all time were there to do business and kick down the devil's doors. No, broken, hungry, humble, frustrated, at the ends of the rope, people said, God, we will do whatever you ask us to do. We're not just going to pray so you do something for us. We're going to become a people of prayer. And at the end of it, we're going to see your face. We're going to know your ways. We're going we're to get to know you better. We're going to lean a little bit closer. And then the miraculous happens. There was a missionary in Cameroon. I could just tell stories all night. I might. There was a missionary in Cameroon who he and his wife, the same thing. They were trying to reach the Baca tribe. The Baca are a nomadic tribe that every time you would go to visit them, they'd be in a different spot. Depending on the rainy seasons, the time of year, they'd just be traveling. 
And these missionaries are there and they're serving. They're for years after years after years with no converts. They call their church back home and they say, hey, just so you know, the kids aren't doing well. We're horrible homeschoolers. This tribe really doesn't want Jesus right now. We're getting tired. We could maybe do ministry in the States or, you know, go to more schooling, do something else. And the church says, no, 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 no. Don't go anywhere. I don't think we've done our best yet. And the missionaries are going, okay, first of all, offended. Second of all, what do you mean we haven't done our best yet? So they said, no, 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 not you guys. Us as a church. We have not done our best yet to back you. Give us one week to figure something out. The leadership of that church met together and they said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do an all, it was, it was like a mega church. We're going to do an all church-wide prayer initiative for this family and the Baca. They developed an entire like uh, booklet. They got uh, small groups together. They got the family in Cameroon to do videos to send back to introduce. For three months, they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And finally, after three months, these missionaries are kind of just there receiving all the prayer doing like, you know, Skype calls, doing information, things like The church is going crazy with prayer, mobilizing. Finally, after three months, a breakthrough came. And right after three months, literally the week after three months, multiple people got saved. The next week after that, multiple churches got started. The next week after that, the Bible school, they've been longing to start with the Baca tribe. Three weeks after, boom, a Bible school opened. Dozens get saved. Pastors get raised up. One year after that three-month breakthrough, they have their first deacons and elders and bishops. An entire movement has started amongst the Baca. Friends, I don't want us to, I don't want us to miss this moment of what God is drawing us into, culturally, but also historically as Elam. God is not calling us to be a flash-in-the-pan prayer person. Don't don't just enjoy prayer. Don't just pray once in a while. Like, he's calling us to be a people of prayer, to be those very situations, to go into those moments where maybe there's a town in America, there's a city in America, there's a campus in America, there's a nation overseas, there's a city waiting for you, somewhere where there's Christians right now saying, there is no way for breakthrough to happen. And then guess who walks through the door? Your roommate. No, you. You're like, my roommate prays more than me. No, he doesn't. Okay. You walk through the door, and you're like, I got my bachelor's. Yay. Or your associates or your, your pat on the back from Dr. Fred. Maybe you missed a class. It's okay. Dr. Duduna gave you a hug at the altar with a, you know, you open your thing, and it's a smiley face that says, you have three more credits. You're like, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> I was there when I walked across stage, Dr. Duduna. I was all like, I was about to show my mom and dad. I was like, that's nothing inside. Okay, let's go back. Let me sit down quietly. And listen, you're going to come in and you're going to say, man, I don't, I've never really planted a church in this sort of environment. Man, this youth group, it seems like it's like dysfunctional. This seems like some sort of like Kardashian episode. Like what is happening? (laughs) So you're going to come in and feel those same vibes of everybody else saying there's no way. But friends, you're going to walk through. And you're going to say something's been cultivated inside of me. On this hill. I call it Lima Jerusalem, okay? Elam. Lima Jerusalem. Something has been growing inside of me where I'm not just gonna come in and do a cute little prayer and ask God to bless the work in front of me. I'm gonna come in because I've grown in dependence on a person. 
And I know someone who has every key for every breakthrough and every door that you'll ever face for the rest of your life. You're going to walk in with that boldness and confidence, not because you're awesome and you have it all together and you know exactly what to do, but you become a person of prayer. And as you stir up this week and as you stir up over this next semester and as you stir up for these next years, becoming a person of prayer, what happens automatically is that you become a person of dependence on Jesus himself. What happens is you move away from your own strength and you get very, very, very dependent on Jesus' strength. If you have your Bibles, open up to to Luke 10.2. This is the story of Jesus sending out the first missionaries we see in the Bible. The first, the first short-term mission trip was led by Jesus himself. And this is how he prepared the troops. Are you ready? Verse 1 says this. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his, very, before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. I could preach on that also. I won't. Verse number 2. And then he said to them, you can read it with me. I have New King James. If you don't have a New King James, first of all, let's go. Let's wake up here, okay? This is what Jesus reads. But let's, let's read it all together in whatever version you have. If you have the message, don't read. No, I'm joking. Okay. You're right. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. I love you, message. Passion translation. Just talk very quietly, okay? No, it's okay. I love all of you, okay? Let's read verse 2 together. One, two, three. Then he said to them... The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now you have to understand something. Jesus, this is like, you ever seen, remember the Titans? Okay, this guy has seen it. Um, Like in every great football movie or sports movie, there's a halftime speech. And, the ha- and they're always losing at halftime. You know, I'm a Giants fan. I'm used to that. We're always losing at halftime. Like, but what does the coach do? The coach gets the team together, and everyone's kind of quiet. Their heads are down. The coach gets everyone together, and, you know, he slaps a wall or kicks over a gate, or it gets everyone's attention. Like, oh, oh. And what he does, he motivates them to go for it. He says, they're killing us out there. But he looks at him and says, now get out there and kick their tail. And everyone goes, ah! They run out of the thing ready to go. That's like what a good coach does when people are discouraged and they're about to go back into the battle. If I was sending out the 70, that's what I would do. I would let these guys know and gals know, hey, here's the deal. This new covenant, this new message of Jesus Christ has never been heard in these areas. They'd be like, yeah. And I'd be like, they don't really have Bibles that day. Like maybe they have Old Testament like scrolls or something. Like you guys have your stuff, right? All right. Like I would make sure they have everything they need. I'd get them all ready. I'd be like, they're waiting for us out there. It's a lost, dying world. All they have is the Pentateuch. They need the gospel. Let's go. I would get them ready to go out and dominate. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, the harvest truly is great, and the workers are few. Now, let me talk about those two words for a second, great and few. That word great has been ruined in American culture. Because you ask me how my marriage is doing, I'm like, it's great. Ask me about my credit score, it's great. Ask me how ice cream is, I'm like, oh, it's great. Like, great is just... Great. Like, it's just, it's not, 
it's meaningless. So when it says the harvest is great, in our Western minds, we're kind of like, oh, the harvest is great. Cool. Thanks, Jesus. What a great bonus tip. That's awesome. Thank you. But that's not what that word means. In the Greek, that word actually means overwhelming. It doesn't mean great, like cool and awesome. and right. No, no. Jesus is looking at the disciples, getting ready to go out, and he says, hey, the harvest is overwhelming. The disciples are like, oh. And then Jesus says, and the workers, which are only them, okay? He's not talking about anyone else. The workers are few. Now, that word also has been ruined by Americans. If you're not American, you're, you're, you're off this one, okay? But in America, we have a saying called the few, the proud, the Marines. We like to be, we like the few. We're like, you know, every, every, every Hollywood action movie, there's a thousand bad guys that can't kill the three good guys because there's only a few of them and the good guys. Every shot, bam, 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 headshot, headshot. They're gone. Like, we love this moment of we're overwhelmed and we're the few. But that word, like, that would get us excited as Americans. That word few doesn't mean that in the Greek. That word few means puny. That's the better translation in English. The harvest is overwhelming. Oh, I thought we could do this by Friday. No, 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 no. It's overwhelming. It's like looking out at the ocean, trying to see the horizon, debating if you're a flat earther. It's all confusing. Looking at the grains of sand, trying to figure out how many grains of sand. That's like overwhelming. And the workers are puny. That means you can't do it. This is like the worst, like, like the worst, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Motivational. This is like the worst motivational speech of all time by Jesus. Like here you are trying to get him ready for a, a short-term trip to go out and spread the gospel. And he's like, yo, there's too many of them, and you guys are puny. Oh, thanks, Jesus. And then he says this, therefore pray. See, I would have said, therefore go, like therefore go get him. Jesus says, therefore pray. See, I would have gotten them all excited to rise up in charge and dominate. But Jesus says, therefore pray, meaning the disciples fall on your knees and come into a new relationship and dependence with the Lord of the harvest. See, how many times in our lives when we think about ministry, we think about dominating, we think about taking this city for Christ. We think about bleh, launching this new thing. No one's ever thought of this before. Yes, they have. It didn't work. But it's okay. You do you. No one's ever. When I get pastor, how many of you said this already in your journals? Like, when I become pastor, dot, dot, dot. That's, Jesus, that's what Jesus reads in his downtime for humor, okay? He reads all the journals of everyone writing, when I'm pastor, I'm going to, okay? Like, what, you, you're in a, you're in a, you're in a, a greenhouse right now, a place of marinating, a place of learning, and you have all these dreams. Understand, all those dreams doesn't mean you can fulfill what God has for you in your own strength. What you need is a fresh dependence. What you need is a fresh obedience. What you need is as a person of prayer, as you're, as you're seeing that the harvest is overwhelming. The work we have to do as a church is overwhelming. The labors are few. We're puny. We actually can't do it. What you need isn't to like get yourself all pumped up and run out the doors and get them. What you need to do is fall on your knees, lift up your hands to God, and cry out for him to move. What does a people of prayer look like? It looks exactly like that. 
that prayer is not some sort of last resort. It's some sort of first priority. Prayer isn't something we do as we walk out the door and say, oh, yeah, God. No, no, no. Prayer is something that it actually becomes our strategy. It doesn't become a little checkpoint along the way. It doesn't become an end-time solution. It doesn't become moments throughout the year. What it is, it's a first, and it's a middle, and it's a last. It's a lifestyle. My heart is saying, God, I need you to move. Now, here's the thing. The enemy loves when you feel like you can fulfill what God has on your life. Because if you think you can fulfill everything that God has on your life with your own strength, that's going to lead you down a path of being burnt out, being frustrated, being overwhelmed, and eventually be a flash in the pan and check out a ministry. I've sadly seen it happen time after time after time. And the scary thing is, the more talented you are, the more, the more anointed you are, the more you stay in his presence, the more you stay after class, the more that you invest in those things. That's what the enemy loves to use to try to draw you into this false sense, sense of security that you have it all together. You can do anything you want to do. No, no, no. You stay on your knees, freshly dependent, freshly going after God, understanding that the harvest is overwhelming. And the true workers that are rising up in this hour are few. Jesus says, therefore, pray. This idea of moving from prayer to dependence is so, so crucial. And in the middle of that is our relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus left the disciples, they went crazy. If you do a study on this, it's, it's, it's amazing. Jesus goes to nap on a boat. They're like, well, we're going to die. Where's Jesus? He wakes up. He's like, oh, okay, it's okay. Jesus, uh, you know, says, hey, I need to pray in the garden of the Gethsemane. They're falling asleep. They're not, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, when Jesus' physical presence isn't there, the disciples don't know what to do. But what happens in Acts 2? A, a baptism of the Holy Spirit comes down, and now these very... These very men that are denying Christ to a teenage girl, that are running away, that are chopping off ears, that are bickering amongst themselves about who's the greatest and who's closest to Jesus and all of these dysfunctions. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes, what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit allows us to come into a fresh dependence on Jesus. Now Peter and John, two chapters later in Acts 4, are preaching the gospel, get arrested. They remember, Peter was just denying Christ to a teenage girl a little bit earlier. Something changed in his life. Now he's standing before the most powerful people in all the land, and they're saying, you better not preach Christ. If you do this again, we're gonna throw you in jail. We're gonna persecute you. And he looks at him, he says, I can't help but preach this message of Jesus. What changed in his life? A baptism, a fresh baptism, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit happened. And the Holy Spirit became the game changer to move us from a simple, a, a, a people that are a people of prayer to becoming a people of dependence. In verse 3 of, of Luke 10, Jesus says, now go. So it, there is good news. He says, first pray. He says, now go. But the, the words after that are so funny because he says, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Have you guys ever watched Discovery Channel? 
I see some hands. Bro, you watch everything, dude. No more TV for you. Like, lambs, lambs among wolves doesn't turn out well. You know what I'm saying? That's, like a, that's, like, that's not even fair for the lambs. You're just being sent out, and everyone around you is looking to devour you. That's called ministry. Like, you're about to step out. You're about to launch out. You're like, all right, Jesus, let's go. And you're, you're a lamb being sent among wolves. Listen, when you step into a city, when you step into a church, if some of you guys go out and join the workforce and, you know, go to get an MBA somewhere and, and join a tech, I don't know, I don't know what you're going to do. But when you step into that representing Jesus Christ, you have to understand there are wolves around that are going, mm, I don't like this. A kingdom-minded individual who's become a person of prayer that's fully dependent on God, that is like the secret weapon for revival everywhere in the world. It doesn't take a loud, flashy, altogether person to bring about revival. I'm telling you, the secret agent is a person of prayer, a people of prayer that are coming before God and they're fully dependent on his strength. The enemy's terrified, man. The enemy is absolutely terrified of that. It's not how loud you can be. It's about, man, how faithful will you be in those moments when your back's against the wall, you're seeing the harvest is overwhelming, the ministry is overwhelming, your family or your coworkers or your church, whatever it is, it's overwhelming and your back's against the wall and you're looking at your resources and the word puny comes to mind. You're like, we don't even have a budget. We don't, our, our best leader just you know, turned his back on God and is not even wanting to follow him. You're looking around you at your resources saying, we don't have it. But that person that says... But wait, there's a strategy from heaven. Let's fall on our knees, cry out to God, and say, Lord, would you do it again? Lord of the harvest, would you send forth workers into your harvest fields? I'm telling you, a fully dependent believer, fully dependent on Jesus, fully dependent on his strength, fully dependent on the things that God is calling you to do, leaning into him, crying out to him, there is nothing more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness in this world than that. Because it's not you, it's him. This is why John writes in John 3, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Imagine like a soundboard. We got Jeremy on the soundboard up there. Imagine a soundboard of your life. You wake up and you say, Jesus, help me to decrease my volume and increase your volume in my life. And the longer you stay in ministry, the harder this becomes. Over, I'm, I'm preaching tomorrow morning also. Today I'm talking about praying. Tomorrow I'm going to talk about making. Because I believe these are two foundational sermons that like I was praying about it. And I want to give you something that you can take with you for the rest of your life. Not this week, not this semester. You can take this for the rest of your life and chew on it and apply it. Because I believe this this idea of a lifestyle of prayer, this idea of becoming a person of prayer that's cultivating dependence on God, this is literally the first thing that will actually start to fade away the longer you stay in ministry. It's crazy. It's like the more you get the skill of ministry, 
the more you get the rhythms of ministry, the more you get the relationships of ministry, you can actually start to depend on the very skill itself. And what happens is you slowly start to drift away from the very dependence on Jesus. Jesus modeled this with his disciples for three years. In fact, when Jesus called his disciples in Luke, we find an account of Jesus calling out to the disciples and they've caught nothing all night. And he says, hey, go out into the deep and throw your nets to the other side. Now, this was not a new idea for fishermen, okay? It's not like he's like, oh, duh. <laughs> we should have thrown it to the other side. Okay, we didn't even think about it. No, these are professional fishermen, okay? They, they're throwing nets everywhere. They're probably having their, like, grabbing their person's ankles and bobbing for fish. Like, these guys are desperate. This is their life. Jesus is not offering a new strategy. He's offering a new obedience. He's offering a new command. And the disciples do it. And it says there was more fish than they, they knew. They, they, they had no idea what to do with all these fish. They start calling a, a, a other boats to come and help. Their nets start to break. And what happens? Jesus provides in a moment for them, and he's drawing them to himself in what? A fresh display of dependence. Hear, hear Jesus say to you tonight, you can trust me. I got you. You think it's too much? It very well might be in your own strength. But guess what? I got you. I'm here. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to try to figure out, do I have it? You don't. I am with you. I am in you. I am filling you. And the way you get that revelation is to not rise up in your own strength and try to just do whatever God has for you. It's to have a lifestyle of prayer. It's to have a lifestyle of simple getting on your knees and just lifting up your hands and saying, God, here I am. The harvest is great. The workers are few. My strength, my brain, my might is few. My hours of sleep are few. Like, you're just confessing to God, getting in the right moment, getting in the right space. And then you say, Lord of the harvest, can you provide every single thing that I need? Lord, because when you get in that space, Finances are just like a joke because you're in this space. You're still waiting for finance, but you're, you're in the space, your heart. You're saying, Jesus, if I look at my resources, I'm writing blank checks. I'm talking to no, I'm, when I'm in your, when I'm in the space of the, of the creator of the universe, the alpha and the omega, Jehovah Jireh, I'm in that space. And I'm asking for funds, or I'm asking for workers, or I'm asking for people, or I'm asking for good grades. I'm just asking for focus to study. When you're in that space to the creator of the universe, nothing is impossible. That's what a lifestyle of dependence looks like. It looks like a humble, desperate believer coming before the almighty God, time in and time out, and getting in that space of just looking up. And saying, Lord of the harvest, would you do?